0: So that makes you about one in a million, so don't get a big head. (laughs) But tonight I want to reflect with you on one of my favorite topics, and that is the local church. How do you feel about your church? How do you feel about Koinonia (laughs) International Fellowship, is that what it's called? Yes, okay, I got it right. Small group, right? In Aalborg, Denmark, in a place where you probably know many people who would say they are atheists. They identify with Christianity in a historical way, but not in a real way, in a practical way, So your testimonies were encouraging. I was encouraged earlier this week when Joseph said he was headed to talk to his friend's father. And he admitted he was afraid. I'm afraid a lot of times when I go into a situation where I'm not sure what I'm going to say. And I know that God can use me, right? It's about Christ alone in me. Tonight I'd like to reflect with you on God's design for the life and longevity of the church. God's design for the life and longevity of the church. So what makes a church alive? And what keeps a church alive, not just for our lifetime, but for the lifetime of our grandchildren, if they're still around. And so we're just going to look at a few verses in Ephesians chapter 4 that have to do with God's design for his church. Now Koinonia International Fellowship is not very big, but I am excited because what you've done is very big. What you've done is unusual. The passage of the baton from Lee to Christian is uncommon. And it's something that I had the privilege of sharing in my ministry in Naples, Italy. Jackie and I were missionaries for 22 years in southern Italy. And when we were considering going to Italy, when we understood that God was calling us to Italy, one of the things that we discovered was that Italy, like Denmark, is a place where there aren't a lot of evangelical Christians. There are people, a lot of people who are uh, historical Christians or cultural Christians. They would say, I was born Christian, I'm not an animal, Right? And we do all of the the kinds of uh, practices that our religion requires of us even though if you ask us we might say, I don't believe in any of it. I just do it because it's tradition and I don't want to make grandma mad. Right? And so we had all of that in common. And so missionaries had come and missionaries had started churches and our numbers were small. There were some encouraging results. But many times when it was time for the missionary to move on the church was not left in a situation where it could continue to succeed because leaders had not been trained and the baton was not passed to people who were prepared to succeed. And by God's grace in 2019 I was able to pass the baton to a young bilingual Italian named Danilo. So my Christian, his name is Danilo. He speaks Italian and English. He's from the, the port of Genoa. And God had sent him to our church 10 years earlier as, as to work with our youth. And uh, through the years, we saw him develop. And as the years came close where it seemed like God was leading us away and we said it was time for the missionary era to end, it was time for the church to be a grown-up church and have its own pastor, we weren't sure how, there was no guarantee that this was going to go well. But we knew that we had invested in Danilo. And by God's grace, we saw the call of God in Danilo's life and he took that baton of leadership and he continues to lead that church forward. And I think in many ways, like Christian leads this church. He's learning. He's gaining on-the-job experience now. He's finding out what it... He used to watch Lee lead. Now he's finding out what it means to lead, right? And, and, and you are there with him. And that's God's design for the local church. Unfortunately, for many churches, we live what's called the Pareto problem. Maybe you're uh, familiar with Vilfredo Pareto. He was an economist, an Italian around the beginning of the last century. And he observed uh, he he observed a law of distribution. Twenty percent of the land in Italy was owned, or eighty percent was owned by twenty percent of the people. And so Pareto took this principle, and it became a principle that we hear. Maybe you've heard the Pareto principle when it comes to time management. What do we say in time management? 20% 20% of your efforts produce 80% of your results. Pareto saw that 20% of Italians owned 80% of the land. And his uh, theory was that that's how wealth would be distributed out. Now, how well that works or not, we can argue you know, as well. But we see this in many places in life. And we see this happen in the church as well. Sometimes we say that 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the local church. Now that's not the law of distribution that God desires for his church. But maybe it's been your experience as well. I grew up in that kind of a church. I thought that we hired the pastor, your father's pastor, right? I thought that we hired the pastor to do the work, right? That's what we pay him for. Christian is supposed to do the work, right? He's the pastor. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But the problem is, when we apply the Pareto principle in the local church, it, it is far short of what God desires for his church. And so I'd like to look at a couple verses that show God's design for the life and longevity of the local church. And it's just here in a couple verses in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, starting in verse 11. In verse 11, Paul writes, it was he, it was Christ, who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Or maybe pastor-teacher, pastor-shepherd is one, one role. So I don't know about you, but those sound like some pretty impressive credentials. Apostles and evangelists and pastor teachers, right? And God, Christ gave these people, these gifted people, to the church. For what reason? You would think maybe, you know, he gave them to the church because they were the ones who were capable of leading the church. It took people with those kind of gifts and those kinds of preparation to do the ministry of the church. But Paul continues and he says, Christ gave these gifted people to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ. Another way that we might say this is that every pastor is an interim pastor. When Lee was 74, he was probably wondering for how much longer is my pastoral ministry going to last, right? 72. But he knew it was going to end sometime, right? And now you have a young guy, Christian's pretty young, but he won't live forever either. Every pastor is an interim pastor. Christ gave people called the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists to the church in the first century. And here we are 2,000 years later and the church of Christ has expanded around the world as disciples have made disciples. And those people are long gone. If the growth of the church had depended just on those who had been with Jesus, who had spent three years with Jesus and been prepared by Jesus, the church would not have grown very much. Paul says their role, the role of leaders in the church, is to prepare others, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And again, I don't know about you, but for me, in my growing up years, I grew up in, in the church. I was a third generation Christian. My grandparents came to Christ, and so we saw Jesus in the life of my parents and my grandparents, and we we came into the local church, and we lived in our local church, but We didn't understand. I never understood that the pastor was supposed to equip me for ministry. We were involved in many ways. There were a lot of activities in our church, and we attended church on a regular basis. But I never would have imagined that I would go from sitting there to being up here. I never understood this role. And then God called me into missions and I came as an American and I learned Italian, but I realized that that for the long-term good of the church, I was not the solution. I speak with an accent. My Italian's not bad, but I'm not Italian. I always needed a religious workers visa to be in Italy. There were a lot of costs involved in having missionaries as pastors. So ideally... For the long-term good of the church, we needed to equip, equip people, first-generation Christians as God sent them into our church to do the work of the ministry. And by God's grace, he raised up people, Danilo and others, and they continue to lead the ministry and, and to bring forth the church today. And so every pastor is an interim pastor. Every leader is an interim pastor, uh, leader. Every Sunday school teacher is an interim Sunday school teacher. Every small group leader is an interim small group leader. We need to allow the Lord to use us to equip others so that more and more men and women continue to be developed in their understanding of Scripture, in their confidence in sharing their, their, the gospel with others, in their ability to do ministry for the good of the local church. So if every pastor is an interim pastor, then the flip side of the coin is that every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. And that means there's not just preparation in the church. Preparation implies that we all need to be prepared None of us are born ready to do ministry. But the other side is participation. Participation is for everyone. Every member is a ministry. There's a, there are different roles, but there's a shared responsibility. Another way we could say this is, who is responsible for the growth of the church? How would you answer that question? Christian is. Christian, you're responsible for the growth of this church. What did you say? Everyone. Everyone's responsible for the growth of the church. If God puts you in this church, it's because he gifted you. If you are a son or daughter of Christ, you have God's spirit in you. You have a spiritual gift, and your gift contributes to edify or to build up this local body of believers. Another way we might say this is that some coach, but everyone gets to play. Last night, Alberg won the handball game. My suspicion is the coach wasn't on the floor playing. He was on the sideline coaching. He didn't win the game, did he? Who won the game? The players did. But the coach put the players in a place where they could succeed and win the game. And so, uh, Paul explains this by going on, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So that is to build up the body of Christ. So what does that look like in an international Baptist church? Our context is a transient context. How many of you have been in this church for 10 years? How many of you have been in the church for seven years? Uh, How many of you have been in the church for three years? Yeah. How many of you have been in the church for less than a year? Right. So that's our churches, right? Our churches are churches full of people that are transient. Some are here longer than others. And so, one way we might look at this is that, just like our children, and you have a a fair number of children here in this church, we don't start running. This morning I went running with Christian. He was running a lot faster and farther than I was, but he was running. But we know that our children are not born running, are they? They're born crawling. It's a good thing they don't run as soon as they're born, right? Yeah, they're born crawling and then they're walking and then they're running. And that's the way it is in the local church. Churches like these. When we come into the church, we may not be ready to run, but we can begin crawling and then we can begin walking and then we can begin running and then we send people off to serve the Lord in other places, in other churches. We deploy them into the mission. And when all of this is happening, it leads to a healthy church. This is where the life of the church is. It's in, it's in the participation of everyone in God's work. Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person. This mature person is not an individual. This mature person is the church. It's a corporate maturity. There is unity At the beginning of chapter uh, 4, Paul says that we all, all have one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Right? And then what does he say? And work hard to keep that unity. We've been united in Christ, but we have to work hard to keep that unity. And that's Christ's desire for us. Later on in this chapter, he'll talk about speech patterns which contribute to unity. Speaking the truth in love. Not letting the sun go down on our wrath. And maturity. We want to reach maturity, Christ-likeness. Attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So how does that work? Participation. Do you participate uh, and that helps you to progress? Or do you have to progress and then you get to participate? What do you think? Yes. 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 Many times over the years, we would ask ourselves, is that person ready? And, and in, in, uh, where I come from, we have an expression of throwing them in the deep end. Do you do that in, in Denmark? Do you throw them in the, in the river be and they learn to swim or else they drown? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we introduce people before we might think they're fully ready. And then they grow, and they become more ready, right? And they get more responsibility. Sometimes we train people, and we equip them, and we let them try ministry, and then we give them more responsibility. I have a feeling that Christian went through a lot of training before you all felt confident to make him your pastor. But I imagine there were many times where you heard a sermon, and you thought, well, not bad, Christian. We, we know you're getting better. Right? There was participation and there was progress. And that's true for every one of us. I had no idea that I would be doing the kinds of things that the Lord has allowed me to do in my life. Jackie and I both grew up in little towns where there were more cows than people. We moved to the city of Philadelphia. Wow, amazing. Went to Bible college. Thought that was amazing. Next thing you know, we're headed to Naples, Italy with our almost two-year-old and our three-month-old. That was amazing. 22 years as missionaries in Italy. And then God showed us that I was going to become the General Secretary of the International Baptist Convention and move to Frankfurt, Germany. And at 52 years old... Study German and pass my b1 test i 'm not fluent yet, but and now get to to be part of all this great family of churches. God had a lot more in mind for me than I ever could have imagined, and there was a lot of training that went into that and that 's true for each one of us. God has sees potential that we don 't see in ourselves, and that potential gets developed in the local church. And so that's God's design for his church. It's a multi-generational focus. It isn't just about you and me in this room and getting old in this church together, if that were even possible. Some of us will be gone shortly. But it's about how will this church be in 100 years? It's a multi-generational focus. That's what God has for each local church. It's about widespread participation It's not about the Pareto principle. It's about many people having a place to play, having a place to learn, having a place to grow, to use their gifts in ministry. And it's about progress. We all get to progress individually and as a result, the church progresses corporately. I like to say that God's work always outlasts us, but it never overlooks us. God... In, in he desires to use each one of us where he's planted us for this season in the local church. And so that is my invitation for you today. It's the invitation that I ask myself whenever I come into our churches. We are an, uh, an association of churches. I have no authority over the church. But I ask myself the same question that I would invite you to ask. How do we steward well this church? It's Jesus' church. It's not Lee's church. It's not Christian church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's Christ's church. How do we steward well Christ's church? In this uh, Venn diagram, there are three parts. When it comes to somebody else's part, when it comes to Joseph's friend's father's part and his need to respond to the Lord in these last days of his life, how much control does Joseph have over his, father's, his friend's father's part? How much control do you have over your children, ultimately? How much control do you have over any other person? Zero. How much responsibility? Zero. How much responsibility do you have for God's part? same answer 0 the good news is that god is 100% faithful he will do his part and so what part remains our part my part i'm 100% responsible for my part and so that what do i need to do simply do my part simply do my part whatever that is for god's glory for his church for his kingdom and he will take that and use it to do his work. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Koinonia Fellowship, Alberg. Thank you for the people that you brought to this church. Thank you for the way that these churches become a spiritual family for us. They become uh, a gym where we, we develop spiritual muscles They become a training ground where we learn to do ministry together and where our character is sharpened and we become more like Jesus as we submit our lives to his sovereign care and follow his leading. Lord, I pray that you will encourage each one of us for the part that we have to play in that. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. Thank you that you always uh, keep your promises, that you... Keep your plan moving forward. And thank you, Lord, that in the life of this church, there's been a, a passing of the baton in leadership. And I pray that each one here tonight, as they evaluate their response to, the, to your word, would understand maybe one way that they can respond in doing their part for the good of this church. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here. And I pray that you will just encourage us as we go into our week to see you at work in our lives and to be faithful to respond and allow you to, to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.